Amen. That's good. You know, I got to say, there is such a sweet presence of the Lord in this house today, isn't there? Isn't it good to be in the presence of the Lord, really? I mean, I really, Max, I, I really appreciate your, your sentiment today and what you said. I, I wouldn't want to be no place else. And I just can't believe that anyone would want to be any place else. You know, when the Lord is moving and the Lord is, is reaching down to us and saying, I love you and I want to spend some time with you, what better place can we be than in the presence of the Lord? I mean, can anybody tell me a better place? How about the beaches of Jamaica? How about the best golf course in the world? How about the, how about the best ski hill, Max, in the world? Would you rather be skiing today on the best skiing hill in the world? No, because, you know, there's a presence here. And when we can be in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness and there is peace and there's satisfaction and there's joy and there's an assurance of hope that we have more in store. Wow. I just can't even begin to appreciate what God has in store for us. Now, in this world, he's got many good things in store for us. We may not see it all the time. You know, in our Sunday school class today, we were talking about Joseph and the dreams that Joseph had. And you know that Joseph spent 13 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit? 13 years. Now, we probably skip over that most of the time if we ever read the story. We just we read a story in 15 minutes, and we think, well, it just took him 15 minutes to get the job done. But 13 years, think about it. What were you doing 13 years ago? Joseph spent 13 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit, and he had all the dreams prior to that that God had given him that the sun and the moon and the stars would bow down to him. But yet he spent 13 years in a dark, dingy, cold, dirty prison. You know, there had to be some thoughts going through Joseph's mind through those years of saying, God, where are you? Where are you, God? And maybe you're kind of feeling some of those same thoughts this morning. God, where are you? Maybe you're in that prison sentence right now. But God's got a dream for you. And he's got a, he's got a goal in place for you. And you know what that's called? It's called, for, certainly it's heaven for those that persevere to the end. There's heaven. But there are things yet in this life that God has for you that are good. And we need to look forward to those good things that God has in store for us today. This is one of them. Being in the presence of God is one of those good things that we shouldn't rush through, that we shouldn't just take it for granted or think that, you know, it's, it's unnecessary. Wow, this is necessary. Days like today, moments like this, being in the presence of God like this are necessary for our salvation, necessary for our hope. Necessary for our life. And I'm so thankful that the Lord will come and meet with a few people like this. He doesn't have to have a full church for his presence to be here. In fact, sometimes I think he comes a little bit sweeter to the, to, to the, the smaller numbers. I don't know that for a fact, but I'm just going to claim it. <laughs> because, you know, I appreciate your heart, and I appreciate the fact that you're willing to be here and worship with us. This is really powerful stuff. This morning, we're going to speak on God's calling, God's calling for us. And as a way to kind of introduce this, I want to just show this little video. And you've probably heard the song on the radio from the afters called Well Done. And I want to use this as a way to kind of set the tone for what the Lord has for us in store. What will it be like? When my pain is gone And all the worries of this world just fade away What will it be like When you call my name In that moment when I see you face to face I'm waiting my whole life to hear you say 
You know, I don't know there's words that can be said after that song that can bring it any more clear to us that that day when we finally stand before the Lord, if we've been holy, if we've lived a life that he could really say, well done, what a day that is going to be. But to get there, there's some things that I need to do. I mean, we can't just jump ahead there to get there if I'm not willing to live the life here that he will say, well done, over. Make sense? Yeah. So that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about God's calling for us. What is God's calling for us? You know, as we move into 2019... Is it always at the beginning of a year we, is a time where we typically will look down the road and think about that? What am I going to do this year? What's the calling? What's God's plan for me? What kind of ideas? What kind of initiatives should I be putting forth? What are my goals for the year? And so I've been praying about that as to what the Lord has for us and Let me just say before we get there that I want to just tell you a few things that I'm very appreciative for. I'm very appreciative of the fact that God is in love with this body of believers. He has great concern for this body of believers. Do you know he loves you and he's very concerned about you? He knows your name, he knows your address. He knows your fears. He knows your joys. He knows everything about you, and he's in love with you. I mean, he just really loves you, and he loves this church. It is his intention and his desire to have a very real and a very personal relationship with every person in this church. He's not happy to have a relationship with just a few. He wants to have a relationship with every person that sits in these chairs, every person that calls this their church home, or every person that would come into this church as a visitor. God wants to have a very real and personal relationship with you. God also has a purpose and a place for each person to be involved and active in the body of Christ. You may look at yourself and say, I have nothing to offer. Well, that's not true. God has created you special, unique, with an offering that only you can bring to this body of believers. 
And nothing would, nothing would please him more than for you to, ap- to act in that and to operate in that gift, in that desire, in that activity that you're uniquely qualified to do. There's a place for you here. There's a place. And I will also say that his concern extends outside of the four wheels, the four walls of this church too. God is concerned about where you live, where you work, where you go to school, where you participate in social activities, where you socialize. God's concerned about that. And he wants you to take Jesus with you wherever you go. God the Father wants you to take his son with you and to partner with you daily in your life. And he wants to take that the church outside of these walls into this community. That's the only way churches can grow. Do you know that? Churches don't grow just because you come to church on Sunday morning. Churches grow when we take our relationship with Jesus outside of these walls and into our homes, into our places of business, where we live every day. Can I also tell you that as a pastor, I really feel... um, blessed to be able to pastor you and to be able to come to you on a weekly basis and more times throughout the week as we have opportunity to come and share God's word with you and to open up God's, God's truths with you. Um, I love you very much. That's why we say the things we say here. That's why we promote the things we promote here is because I'm not comfortable, I'm not happy just being a pastor by role only without having the call. The call is to share Christ, share His truth, share His holiness. So with that as a backdrop, I want to talk to us this morning about what is God's call for this church in 2019. And I will say before I say what it is that it hasn't changed in 2,000 years. God's call is the most consistent thing that's ever existed in this universe. He doesn't change his call with the social norms of the day. He doesn't change his call because he has a bad day or I have a bad day. So as we begin to talk about what his call is, I want to make sure that we understand the proper context of what it is. Now, I think some of us have a, think, have a thought process that when we think about God's call or God's will, that it really is maybe not exactly what I'm talking about today. Many times we think of God's calling for us as a life itinerary for us. In other words, God, show me what you want me to do today and tomorrow. And the next day, and show me what my path forward is. Give me the crystal ball, Father, of your will for my life. And I will say that that's not necessarily a biblical way to pray that. Because, first of all, if we knew what God had in store for us tomorrow, it may very much upset you. Think about Joseph. We talked about that at the beginning. When Joseph had this dream back when he was a boy in the shepherd's field, he had a dream that the sheaves were going to bow down to him. Then he had another dream that the stars and the moon were going to bow down to him and so forth. If God, if God said, well, Joseph, before that dream comes to bear, you're going to spend 13 years in a prison for a crime you didn't commit. Now, do you think that would have caused maybe some issues for Joseph? Yeah, and I think there are some things in our life that God's just saying, I I just can't tell you, guys. You just have to walk day by day and trust me. And in that trusting me, I'm going to prove to you and you're going to prove to me who you really love. Because I'm I'm giving, I'm going to, I, I promise you, he says, I promise you that you will not walk it alone. Even in those days and nights in prison for Joseph, he wasn't alone. He might have felt alone, but God was with him. God was protecting him from the other inmates and from the diseases and all the other things that might have come around because God had a plan for Joseph, and that dream was going to be fulfilled, but in God's timing and not necessarily in Joseph's timing. And the same thing for you and I. God has a plan for your life, but we don't know what it is necessarily. So 
in the way we talk about a calling, what God really wants from us is something that only we can give back to him, and that is our love. God's calling to us is holiness. God's calling says, be holy so that I can have relationship with you. Because unless I'm holy, I can have no relationship with God. And we're going we're gonna to flesh this out as we go throughout this day. We're going to see scripturally why this is true. That I must be holy and righteous according to God's standards, not according to my standards. According to God's standards, not according to the social norms of the day the relative morality of the day, the relative truth of the day. That's not God's standards. So when God's calling is to be holy, that is something that is unchanging. It is something that started back when God created the world. And before that, God has always been holy. And he always will be holy. That's why the angels cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Constantly in heaven, there is a throng of angels that are crying, holy, holy, holy. Forever, God is holy. And that's his call for us today. So what does that look like? What does that mean today? His calling is that we would have a true, authentic, and growing love relationship with him through holiness that we would have a true, authentic, and a growing love. Love grows. It changes. It changes me so that I can have a love of holiness with God. It's really that simple. God wants the most from us something that he can't give on his own. We think and we say, and God is all-powerful. And he is. But what he can't get from me is something that I'm not willing to give to him, and that's love. If I'm not willing to show him my love from my choices, he can't make you love him. No more than your spouse can make you love them. It is a choice. It's a choice. It's really that simple. God loves us. He makes it very clear through Scripture that He loves us more than what we can ever imagine. And just like us, we typically give gifts to people that we would, something of what we would want them to give to us. <laughs> if we like that person. I mean, you know, when you give a gift to somebody, you search hard to find the gift that makes you happy to give to them, Right? It makes you happy. It gives you pleasure to give that gift to that person because you like that. Well, that's exactly what God has done for us. He's given us a gift that he wants in return, and that's love. He's given love to us, and he's asking for us to return it back to him as a gift. So his calling for us is for us to draw close to him. Our, our calling is to be, draw, between, to be every day drawing closer to Christ than I was yesterday. That's my calling. It's that simple. It doesn't have to be more difficult than that. And then as I walk in that calling, loving him more today than I did yesterday, there are some things that I'm going to do that are going to be pleasing to him. And there are some things that I'm going to do that are going to please other people. Because if I'm really living to love God, love will create a pleasing action. So that's really all we need to be concerned about, loving the Lord with all of our hearts and returning that love back to Him. God's calling for us is to make Him our first priority because He's already made us His first priority. Do you think that? Do you, do you, do you realize that? That God has already made you and me His first priority, so He's asking us to, to give that back to Him as well. Romans chapter 5. We have quite a few scriptures today. Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 8. 
But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still sinners, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. That is a powerful position to be in when we recognize that we can be friends of God through the love of Christ through his sacrifice for us. What a powerful message that is. God has made the first move toward us by extending his love to us through Jesus. And now he's waiting. He's waiting for us to return that love back to him. He's returning. He's waiting for us to receive the call and to accept this gift and to choose him back. And that's the power of choice. That's the power of choice. That is why God gave us the power to choose at the beginning because it's only through our choices that proves what we love. Your choices prove your priorities, right? You do what you want to do. That's your priority, that your choices prove that out. So if God made us that we could do nothing else besides love Him, that wouldn't prove anything to Him that we love Him. But because we have the choice to love Him or not love Him, when I do love Him, He receives it as a gift, not a requirement. It's a gift. I'm choosing to love him back. That makes it meaningful. It's interesting to know that when we began our life, when we began our life, when you were born, we began our life as an enemy of God, not by your own choice. You didn't choose to be an enemy of God when you were a baby. You were born that way because of the nature of sin. But through the death and resurrection of Christ, we can choose to be restored back into a new relationship. So you, you began as an enemy, not by your choice, but you can choose through the blood of Christ to be restored into relationship with God. There's a, pro, there's a progression here. So we'll come back and we'll talk more about that later because that's, that's a very important point that we'll come back to. But I want to I identify five main areas. And if we don't get through this today, we'll stop and pick it up another time. But five main areas that God has called us to. And they're on the bottom of that sheet, if you picked up that sheet this morning. Number one, God has called us to himself and given us everything we need to live a godly life. He's called us to himself. And he's given everything we need. Number two, God has called us to live in freedom. These are the five major five areas, and there's probably more, but these are the five I'm going to talk about of God's calling to us. God has called us to live a holy life. Number four, God has called us to work hard to prove our calling so we won't fall away. And number five, God has called us his children. And then to live in purity as he is pure. And we're going to talk about all these later throughout the day, and hopefully they'll make sense. Number one, God has called us to himself and given us everything we need to live a godly life. Second Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 3. In the New Living Trans- Translation, it says this. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. God would never ask you to do something that he wouldn't give you the ability to do. He's called us, and he's given us the ability to live a life that is pleasing to him. God's desire is for us to be reconciled to him, as we've already said, And then he gives us the means to live a life that is holy and able to stay in his presence. How do we do this? Well, let's read on the same passage, 2 Peter 1, beginning at verse 5. It says, the Living Bible Translation says it this way, But to obtain these gifts, you need more than faith. 
you must also work hard to be good, and even that is not enough. For then you must learn to know God better and discover what he wants you to do. Next, learn to put aside your own desires so that you will become patient and godly, gladly letting God have his way with you. This will make possible the next step, which is for you to enjoy other people and to like them. (laughs) And finally, you will grow to love them deeply. It's a process of living a godly life. This passage helps describe our part, what we have to do. God's calling us to do some things, and this passage is starting to help us describe that. And could you see the choices here that he's laying out for us? We must work to learn about God. We must work hard, it says. And it's more than just work. We have to put things into action. And then we, learn, then we are to learn to love people as God loves people. That may be harder for some of us than we want to admit. But by this definition, this is really learning to fight the good fight that we've been talking about for the past number of weeks prior in the the last part of 2018. To fight the good fight. How do we do this? Well, we do this by putting our desires and accepting God's desires. And we do this by learning to love what God loves. And we'll talk more about that as we go through. Second thing that God has called us to do, he's called us to live in freedom. He's called us to live in freedom. Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 13, then skipping to 16 and 17. He says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Okay, let's continue on. So I say in verse 16, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are outside of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation to the law of Moses. This, again, is defining for us the good fight that we've been talking about. God's calling for us is to be set free hear me, set free from the obligations of the law that men bring and also the sin that Satan brings. He talked about the obligation of the law of Moses. Now, the Old Testament had a number of laws. Fortunately, because that Jesus came to fulfill those laws, most of them we're not having to fulfill now. The moral laws like the Ten Commandments and the moral laws, yes, we're still to fulfill the moral laws, but the civil laws of their dietary restrictions and and all of the sacrifices that they had to do and all those, we're free from those today because Christ fulfilled them, because Christ became the sacrifice. So we don't have to go back and kill animals and and the blood blood of goats and rams to, to, to fulfill our obligation to sin. Christ did that. So we're not obligated to, the more, to those civil laws of the Old Testament. Clearly, the moral laws we still live under because those are things that are moral and those things don't change. But the other thing that we're free from is the sin that Satan brings. We don't have to live a life of sin any longer. We're free to serve God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the key thing, that I can't do this on my own. Even though I have to re- it requires my effort, It's not about my effort. It's about my effort in conjunction with the Holy Spirit that I'm allowing Him to work in my life and the power of the Holy Spirit that will bring us not only eternal life, but also bring us the joy and the peace that we can enjoy in this life while we are free from the guilt of sin. There's nothing better than to live a life free from guilt. And there's nothing worse than living a life always guilty. I think we all can remember the times when we were younger that we knew when we did wrong and the guilt that we had to face coming home to face mom and dad. It was not a good feeling. But when I choose the right things in life and I don't have to live under guilt and I don't have to live under condemnation because that's what the Bible says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in love with Christ. 
that are fulfilling His laws, that are fulfilling His obligations, that are fulfilling His desires for us. He does not condemn us any longer when we've, once we've been forgiven for that. And then that gives me joy and peace. And I'm free then to serve God by that power, and it brings such a, um, such a freedom to my life. That's the freedom we're talking about. Not the freedom that some people call the freedom. They call, some people call this freedom to live a life they want to live, thinking that they live under the grace of God that's going to forgive them no matter what sin they commit. And they can intentionally and deliberately stay in an attitude of sin and still be okay with God because they, they, they redefine freedom to be, I can live my life the way I want to live my life in this world, and God has to forgive me. I, I know what that's like because, see, freedom like that is we want to be immediately satisfied. We want to have that immediate satisfaction. And I will say that sin is fun when you're living in sin. I mean, carousing is fun. Drinking is fun. Uh, sexual promiscuity is fun. Thank you. It's fun when I'm in the middle of it. But the guilt that comes after the fact is not so fun, is it? We all know what we're, I don't need to expand that much further. We know what I'm talking about. That the consequence of the guilt, even though I had immediate satisfaction, the consequence isn't so fun. So that kind of freedom is not the freedom that leads us to eternal life. If I have freedom thinking that my freedom is to live the life I want to live, that freedom is going to lead you to death and bondage. Because we all know that if I allow that freedom to live that way, I'm going to be addicted to some things that aren't going to be good for me. I'm going to be living a lifestyle that's not going to lead to eternal life. But if I live in the freedom that God gives me, which means that says that I can... I can put my desires aside and I can pick up his desires and I can live the way he wants me to live. That's freedom that will lead not only to eternal life, but also to a life without guilt in this life. That's freedom. Amen? That's what we want. This is the freedom that Scripture is declaring for us to have. So that's number two. God has called us into a life of freedom. Number three, God has called us to live a holy life. God has called us to live a holy life. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from the beginning of time, to show us his grace through Jesus Christ. See, God's desire has always been to have a relationship with man. That's why he created Adam and Eve in the first place. Because he wanted to have relationship with us. That's why he created Adam and Eve in his image, differently than the way he created animals. He didn't create animals to have relationship with God the way that man is created to have relationship with him. God created Adam perfectly and wholly in God's image. An image that could have relationship with God. And what I find so interesting here is that Adam began his life in holiness, and then through Adam's sin, he became unholy. Adam began his created life holy in relationship with God, and through his sin, he became unholy. Whereas, on the other hand, for us, we begin our life unholy. Because of Adam's sin, we begin our life unholy, and through the Christ's redemptive power, we can become holy. You see the difference? Adam started one way and ended this way. We began the way Adam ended, but yet we have a choice to not stay there. We don't have to stay in that sin because God says, I'm calling you to be holy. And he does that and he calls us through the power of Christ to receive Jesus as our Savior and then not stay in the place that we first met him. That's the power of holiness. Romans chapter 1, verse 17 and 19 through 19. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. 
Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. What a beautiful plan. Scripture is clear that relationship with God can only be on a holy basis. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now let's stop here for a minute and just see what that says. What does that mean? Without holiness, repeat it with me. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Is there anything that we can be confused with there? So what is holiness? My Bible commentary describes holiness as morally pure, spiritually whole, separated from evil, and devoted to God and His purposes. To be morally pure, spiritually whole, separated from evil, not in compromised with evil, but to be separated from evil and devoted to God in His purposes. Holiness and living a holy life is a requirement, not an option, if you're going to see the Lord. Recognize what we're saying here, please. Recognize this, because this is very important. And there's not different variations of holiness. There's not a holiness for Mike, the pastor, that's different from a holiness for you, the layman. Or there's not a holiness for people in this church different than holiness from a person in another church. God doesn't have variations of holiness. God has one standard of holiness. And he says, if you do not receive and if you do not live under that standard of holiness, you will not see me as your Savior. You'll see me as a righteous judge, but it won't be in the way you want to see the Lord. This is not hard, guys. This is not a, this is not a taskmaster. This is the freedom that God's calling us to live under. Holiness or holy is not a four-letter word. Well, it is a four-letter word, but it's not one we should avoid. Living holy is a privilege. Living holy is a, is a, is a great way to live a life of freedom, a great way to live a life of peace and joy and contentment and happiness. Holiness is not a bad thing. The enemy has made this really twisted. And to be holy is to be a stick-in-the-mud person that is bigoted and is narrow-minded and that, doesn't, that can't have fun in this world and is totally um, something to be avoided. But I'm telling you, that's not what God is asking of us. He wants us to be joyful and to have peace and to be the happiest people on the planet because he gives us the ability to live this way. But yet, it requires an effort on our part. Because remember, we didn't begin as holy. We began as unholy. So there's going to be some changes in our lives to go from unholiness to holiness, and it's going to require an effort on our part. First Peter chapter 1, verses 14 and 16, Peter understands this holy requirement. The Living Bible says it this way, Obey God because you are His children, don't slip back into your old ways, doing evil because you knew no better. But be holy now in everything you do, just as the Lord is holy, who invited you to be his child. He himself has said, you must be holy, for I am holy. It's not hard, but it requires an effort. It requires a choice. Go back to 2 Timothy chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 13. We can be holy as we learn how to be holy through Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. Hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learned from me, a pattern shaped by the faith and love that you, love, that you have in Christ Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. So since we began life unholy, we must learn... To be holy. Make sense? 
And the only way we can learn to be holy is to read God's Word because God's Word is the standard of holiness. One of the Holy Spirit's main functions is to live in us and to give us the ability to live a holy lifestyle. It's the Holy Spirit living in us. It's the Holy Spirit living in us that brings God's Word alive to us so that when I read God's Word, the Holy Spirit is saying, this is what it means. This is what it means when you have to live a holy life. This is what it means what you have to do. It's setting God's standard clear in our hearts and in our minds. This is why Bible reading and Bible study is so important because we can't learn to live God's ways through our own experiences. If I don't understand what the Bible says about holiness, my experiences won't get me there because my experiences are based on unholy living. Make sense? There's nothing that makes sense to a non-Christian when it comes to holiness because we're not holy. We're unholy. And the only way that I can learn to be holy is through God's Word. And then I have to learn how to be holy from that way. And if I'm going to go on, well, what I think, I will guarantee you, I will assure you that that level of thinking will not line up with God's standards of holiness because we're unholy in our own right. And that's going to leave you short of heaven. And that's going to leave you short of living this life with peace and contentment because you're going to be striving for something that you can't get to on your own. God's holiness must be learned by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us through the study and application of God's Word. It's dangerous when we think we can become holy by our own reasoning. When I think I can reason it out on my own, I don't really know what God's Word says about that, but I'm just going to make it up on my own. You know what that's called? False teaching. It's called justification into a lifestyle that I want to live. And I will justify my choices, my actions by my standards, not by God's holy standards. That's not holiness. We need to learn the behavior through the teaching of God's Word, through times like today, through times like Wednesday night Bible studies, through your own personal devotions. You must open the Bible. If you're going to learn what God has for you, you must open the Bible. God's call to holiness is further emphasized by Paul in his letter to the, to the Thessalonians, um, where we're to live pure lives and not un- impure lives. First Thessalonians chapter 4, eight verses here. So read this with me. Follow through. Follow this. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. There's that teaching aspect, all right? Paul is urging the Thessalonians to live a life pleasing to the God as we've taught you to do, okay? He goes on, you live this way already and we encourage you to do so even more. For you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control your own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife. For the Lord avenges all such sins as we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Do you see the seriousness of what is happening here when it comes to living a holy life? That you can say, Mike, I don't agree with you, and I'm reading this. I read that, and you can say, I don't agree with that. Well, you're not rejecting me. You're rejecting God. That's a pretty serious sin to reject God. And I love the way Paul addresses this, first of all. First of all, he commends them for a job well done and that they're living in a holy way, which is good. But he says something very important He said here. He says, but, but he says, you live this way already and we encourage you to do so even more. There's more to tomorrow than there is to today. I'm encouraging you to continue to live in more holiness than what you have already attained because none of us have already attained a state of holiness that doesn't need to be improved. 
We're on the journey. Every day should be more holy than the day before. I'm on a journey of holiness. We need to live in a regular habit of seeking God's forgiveness through an attitude of of love for Him so that we are always seeking His level of perfection so that when I do fall short, that my first reaction should be forgiveness. Should be a first, my first reaction should be a sense of, Lord, I need to repent. I need to say, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me again? And would you lead me in a, way of, a, a new way? And I never should justify my sin. I never should find myself justifying it because I enjoy it or because it's just the way I am or because that's my lot in life. No, God has given us a way out of sin. He's given us a way to live holy. And so we need to understand the seriousness of taking holiness lightly as if it's, a, as if it's an option or if it's just some preacher's idea and it's totally voluntarily. No, it's not voluntary. It is, it is a requirement if I'm going to see God. Because Paul ends this passage with a warning. He says, anyone who refuses to live by these rules, rules are not bad, by the way. If anyone refusing to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but rejecting God. Number four, God takes us to the next level of God's calling through God is calling us to work hard to prove our calling so we won't fall away. You know what? I'm going to stop right here. I don't have enough time to take the next couple points and do justice to them. So it's 5 to 12, and we have potluck, and I know there comes a point in time when people just can't listen anymore because you're hungry, and I get that. So we're just going to end right here. So Jackie, would you just come, and we'll just pick, it up, we'll just pick this up next week because this is so important. We can't rush through this. We can't rush through God's call to be holy. So right now, I just want to challenge you. I want you to take a few minutes here as we end this message to evaluate your heart. This morning, God is calling all of us to be holy this morning. And again, I want to stress, I want to stress so much that we don't, that this effort is not as a way for us to earn God's favor. God just wants to meet you right where you're at. And he wants to take you right where you're at. And he'll be the change agent. He'll change you. So I, want, I just want you to, um, as, as I do myself, ex- examine my heart this morning. Close your eyes with me if you would. Father, just examine us today. Lord, where are we at truly in this attitude of holiness? Are we walking down the path of holiness? Are you pleased with my actions. Lord, there's nothing more that I want to hear you say, well done, at the end of my life. Like that song said at the beginning, well done, thou good and faithful son. That's what I want to hear. So Lord, to get there, I'm just asking you to make it very clear to me what I need to change. What area do I need to strengthen? What effort And where do I need to put the effort into my life? Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for washing me. Thank you for making me a child. But Lord, I need to be more holy every day. So this morning as we sing the song that Jackie's playing, I just would encourage you to pray that prayer. And if you need help, we would love to pray with you. We would love to help you on that walk of holiness. There is a God who loves me, who wraps me in His arms. Take me to
Father, I just thank you now for this promise. I thank you, Lord, that you're willing to wrap us up and you're willing to embrace us. So, our Lord, help us in our, strug- in our struggle for holiness. Help us, Lord Jesus, as we reach out to you. And I pray, God, that everyone here today and listening here would have that their hearts cry. Yeah, we're not perfect. We're going to make mistakes. But, Lord, just help us. Strengthen us. Encourage us. Live with us. Teach us, Father, as we reach out and we embrace you wholly. And I thank you for this in Jesus' name.